Today we're going to talk about uh, what I, I recognize and all of us in this room have been affected by. It's a sensitive topic because I think it, it really cuts deep to our hearts. It really cuts deep to our spirits. And that is the issue of do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. And I realize in this room there are people um, that have been deeply impacted, whether the victims of this or they have victimized because of this. And this is something that I think touches every single one of us. So I think as we come to this, we need to take it very seriously. And, you know, you think about how our statistics say 50% or more of weddings end in divorce in the United States and how that seems to be getting worse. More people aren't getting married. They're just cohabitating. And we have a major issue in our country because we don't seem to know how to have healthy, faithful relationships. I remember hearing a story about a young man. He was about to get married. He went to his grandfather and he said, Grandfather, how did you and Grandma stay together for so long? How did you love each other so well? And the grandfather said, You know, uh, when we were about to get married, we went to a pastor and we had premarital counseling. And he said, You need to make a decision who's going to make the big choices, who's going to deal with the big decisions. And so uh, your grandmother and I sat down and we said, all right, here's what we're going to do. He said, I'm going to make the big decisions. You make the small decisions. And they agreed to that. And he said, "Uh, son, in 50 years, you know, there's not been one single big decision. (laughs) That was a joke. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, is that relationships and commitment and faithfulness, faithfulness is at the heart of how a relationship works. And we have so many ways in our world and our culture today that lead us away from faithfulness. And we need to look to the Lord today and we need to ask the question, um, what is so important? Why is faithfulness so important? Why is faithfulness so important? And not just in the area of relationships, but in life. Why is faithfulness important? Why should we value it? Why should we make it part of our life? Why is it an issue of character in our lives? And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him as we look at his word to give us wisdom and discernment. Father God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you are patient with us and that you love us and that you desire for us to live in in a very intimate and deep relationship with you. And so, Lord, I ask as we look through these words that you have said to us, that we would receive them and that they would uh, penetrate into our minds and, and our thoughts so that we would become like you, that we would see the world like you see it, to understand your created order and to understand the purposes you have for us. And so, Lord, as we talk and we listen and we look, I pray, Lord, that it would be your spirit that guides and that you reveal new things to us. You reveal things that we can grow healthier in, things that we can mature in, and things that we can become more like you. We look forward to the day that the family, your family, is reigning and is here and with us. And so we look forward to your return. Uh, But until then, Lord, let us prepare our hearts. Let us prepare our actions. Let our lives be faithful in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe as we look at these verses, we're going to see a very clear picture. And as you read scripture, you see a very clear picture. Uh, God is the author of scripture. He breathed it into the authors to write it down. Um, And I think as you read it, you realize that God's plan for us uh, is to have a deep, meaningful relationship. 
As you read Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, as you see the relationship God initially had with Adam and Eve, you see a deep, intimate relationship. He walked with them. He talked with them. They had an ongoing relationship together. As you see the relationship, even as he talked to Cain before he went to Abel, it was a personal relationship. He said, Cain, why are you letting this sin crouch at the door? Don't let it do it. And as you see the progression, his relationship to Noah, his relationship to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and David, you see this intimate, close, deep relationship. So much so that even in the relationship with Moses, Moses kind of talks back and tries to talk God out of things because there's this back and forth relationship of intimate intimacy that he has that reveals to us that God's intent for creating humans in his own image is to have good, deep relationships with them. And one of the things that that reveals that is our relationships to each other. And so when we see this and we read about this, we need to recognize that God has a high value on faithfulness in relationships. And God, in, in, in the Old Testament, reveals himself as the husband of the Hebrew people. He is the husband of Israel. And the problem is, is that he is so upset with them because they keep being unfaithful to him. So much so that he calls out a prophet named Hosea. And we're going to read from Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. And this is what God says to Hosea. He says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he made Gomer, daughter of Deblame, because <laughs> she's to blame, uh, and she conceived and bore him a son. And so here, God chooses this man, Hosea. He's a prophet of God, and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go marry a woman who's promiscuous, and I want you to share with the, those in Israel that this is how God sees you now. And so God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you both in word and action. And I feel bad for Hosea that he had to go through this, but he was used by God to teach a, teach a very powerful truth. When I put anyone before God in my life, when I am an idolater, when I break that covenant that God has given us through his uh, dying on the cross, when I, when, I, when I stop worshiping him and I start worshiping something else, I am unfaithful in the same manner in which a promiscuous woman is unfaithful or a promiscuous man. It is that deep of a wound that God felt. It was that deep of a wound that God felt when Israel went into disobedience and began to worship false gods and to follow false views. When we do that in our life and we have a relationship to God, it is very similar. It is very similar to that breaking of trust, to that breaking of deep intimate relationship, of breaking of what God never intended to be broken. God compared the situation to adultery and we need to recognize that's how serious he takes even our relationship to him. It's so important that God help us to understand how big a deal this is. Uh, He made it very clear in Leviticus. What was the punishment for adultery under Hebrew civil law? Leviticus 20.10 says, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. 
So the, the, the crime of adultery in the Old Testament under Levitical law, under the law that was just for the, the Hebrew people at that time, because God was saying, this is how severe of a punishment I must give because this is what it is breaking. You are breaking my purpose. You are breaking my plan. You are breaking the love covenant that I'm making with you, the covenant of relationship that I'm making with you. When you break that, it is so severe that your life will be called from you. That was the the level of crime it was in the Old Testament. And then we move forward to the New Testament. What did Jesus say about adultery? Matthew 5, 27. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so Jesus says it's not even just the actual act of adultery. He goes back to the heart attitude of adultery. You know, as a young person, you kind of learn about God in this way, that he has a bunch of rules, and if I obey his rules, I'm good with him. And so you really, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to cheat, I'm not going to steal, I'm not going to commit adultery, and you really try to hunker down, right? I'm not going to do it. I won't do it again. I won't fall into that trap again. And we try to force ourselves to be good. And what Jesus reveals to us is not the outward action, it's the inward heart. It's our hearts that have to be healed. It's our hearts that have to be renewed. It's our hearts that have to change. Our actions are just reflections of our hearts. We can control some of those actions, but that doesn't mean our hearts are right. It doesn't mean my heart is in the right place just because my actions are good. You see, one of the, the, the fallacies that we believe in the United States is if you're a kind person, you're a good person. No. You can have a very wicked and evil heart and be pretty kind. The heart is the heart of the matter. The heart of every man is what God judges. It is what he looks at when he looks at the world. What is your heart? Where is your heart at? Do I have your heart? Not do I have your actions. Do I have your heart? Because he knows if he has our heart, our actions will follow. And so it's so severe that Jesus is saying, look, uh, when it comes to adultery and breaking of that covenant of marriage that you've made, it's not enough that you don't, uh, that you, that you don't actually do the act if you in your heart are thinking about doing the act, you've broken that covenant. And in our culture, in our wor- world, the biggest problem I believe we have in the United States with teenagers and everyone, college age, uh, middle age, You think of the demographic, almost all the demographics have been polluted by this one problem, is the problem of pornography. People say, how are we making such extreme decisions in our culture? How did we shift so dynamically, so extreme from views that we had 20, 30 years ago to the views that now are being pushed on us? How did we shift? Two things happened in the 60s and 70s. Two things happened. First, we said, God is not the foundation of our nation. So we need to get him out of school, get him out of the government, and say, God has nothing to do. Our laws are not built on him. Our teaching is not built on him. We don't want to have anything to do with him. He needs to get out of here. And you know what we invited in? The sexual revolution. You know what the sexual revolution brought in? Pornography. And do you know what your kids and my kids and all the kids in this country can look at at any second, whenever they want, and warp their mind into the darkest places? Pornography. Do you know why there's no level of compass of morality? There's no sense of right and wrong? Because when you go to deep, dark places and you allow your heart and soul to go to deep, dark places, you are seared. Your conscience is seared and you no longer see right and wrong for what they are. 
You have been corrupted. Your mind no longer works properly. Your thoughts on what is good and bad is distorted. The biggest problem with our nation are not these peripheral issues that we talk about in politics. It's the heart of men and women. It's the heart of boys and girls. And their hearts are being warped and distorted by pornography. On mass levels. They say 70% of people in church look at pornography. It is it has infiltrated every area of our culture. And we are seeing the fruit of what has been planted. And this is so valuable because you have a grandson, you have a granddaughter, you have a son, you have a daughter that is a slave to this. And until they are released from this slavery and bondage, they will not find meaning to life. They will not find value in life. They will not find purpose in life. They will not find what God created them to have. The devil is stealing these people from us on mass levels. And the church exists to be light and salt. The church exists to shine the light and say, look, this is horrible. We are allowing adultery of the mind on a mass scale. And if you don't think there will be mass consequences for that, then you don't know God and you don't know his righteousness. He doesn't hate us. He loves us. But we've invited the vilest poison into our hearts. And it is distorting us. And it is causing mayhem and destruction in our schools and our families. That's why people are divorcing and why people can't stay together. And there's so many problems can be rooted in this heart idolatry that is more prevalent today than maybe ever in our nation. And so we need to confront it in love. We need to say there's an answer. And we need to deal with the real problems. We need to not avoid the real issues. We need to stand up for truth and what is right. What is the punishment for adultery? This kind of adultery under the new covenant, meaning the old covenant was in Leviticus. That was just for the Hebrews. It's not for us. There's a new covenant in Christ. When we take communion, this is the new covenant in your blood. We have a new covenant. It's called grace. We're covered by his blood. But there is an expectation in that grace to live in the freedom of holiness. That we're called to live holy lives. In 1 Corinthians, this is a New Testament verse, verses, it says this, Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the homosexuals, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. When you look at that, the thing that sticks out to me is the, the, the term inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Jesus came to give us an inheritance for his children. And he's saying, these are not my children. My children are not controlled by these sins. My children are being set free from these sins. My children have come to me, and I am doing a good work in them that I will bring to completion that will heal them of these sins. But they will, this will not identify them. You see, when it encompasses you, it's all you think about, it's all you, you focus on, you become it. You become an idolater. You become an adulterer because it's the thing that has saturated you so much and it's the thing that you identify with the most. And Jesus says, when you're mine, you identify with me the most. 
Not one of these designations. We live in an identity world. This is my identity. This is who I really am. This is what I really am. No, there's only two identities. Either you are a child of God or you're not. That's it. And to be a child of God, you are set free in your identity to be completely his. And so what is the solution to all this? It's dangerous. It's devastating. It's prevalent. What is the solution? How can we deal with this? God's saying, you shall not commit adultery. Get away from adultery. What's the solution? Well, 1 Corinthians, the continuation of the verse 8 and 11 says this, and that is what some of you were. That is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Washed of the dirtiness of this world. Washed of the deceptions of this world. Washed of the filthiness of this world. And it's a washing that continually happens. We are washed clean. We are set free. That every day we may live in purity. That every day we may wash and be in right relationship with God. That from morning till night I, I praise the name of my Savior. Because I am washed clean in his spirit. And unfortunately for so many, and even in the church, they live in the muck and the mire and the dirtiness of this world. And they don't wash in the spirit of God, knowing the victory that he has for us. And the victory is found in in confession and belief. I confess I can't overcome this on my own. I confess I need you. I confess I'm a sinner lost in this sin. But I believe that you can help me overcome this. That through your spirit you can guide me to victory. That I no longer will be a slave to this sin. I will no longer be a slave to this addiction. I will overcome in the name of Christ by the power of his spirit. That is what is available to every person in your life. That is what's available to you and me. And let's not pretend that we don't list in that category. We need washing. We need cleaning. We need Christ every day, more and more, uh, revealing himself and identifying to us the areas that he wants to wash and clean so that his name will be lifted up and glorified through us. Are we willing to allow him to have that in our life? You see, Israel, they had committed adultery as a nation against God. They had completely uh, severed the relationship because they wanted what everyone else had. They weren't satisfied with God. And it took Hosea, his prophet, to come to them before their eyes were open, before they realized the problem that they were in. See, most of us, most people, the reason they continue on the path they're in is because it hasn't bothered them enough to deal with it. They haven't hit rock bottom. They haven't realized where they're headed. They haven't realized the depth of trouble that they are in. But God, through Hosea, opened the eyes of the people and they began to recognize how evil a place they were in, how devastating a place they were in. And here's what it says as we full circle Hosea 14, 1 through 9. He says, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. 
he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like olive tree. His fragrance will be like the cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with its idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. And here's what it ends with in verse 9. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk into them, but the rebellious stumble in them. Are we wise this morning? Have our eyes been opened to the devastation of adultery? Have we recognized how it has ravished our country and destroyed our families? Have we seen what it's done in our own hearts, in our own relationships? Do we recognize the pain that it gives and that we give in the midst of it? Do we recognize this is an area that so many people need healing and hope in? So many people need grace. Maybe you need grace this morning. You know, this is a topic that maybe is in your past and you've struggled with. And you're still beating yourself up about it. Guess what? You're forgiven. There's grace. Give it to God. Let it go. You don't have to carry that weight anymore. You don't have to carry that shame anymore. You don't have to carry that disgrace anymore. You are set free. His blood has covered that sin. Maybe today you're in the midst of this. Maybe there's an addiction in your life. Maybe there's relationships in your life, connections in your life you know you shouldn't have. Well, today is the day to recognize how evil and horrible they are and break them off. Today is the day to make the decision to get right, to recognize if you don't, it'll hurt a lot more later than it does right now. And for some of us, especially our kids and our grandkids, we need to teach them about the future because there is a prevalent view out there that this doesn't really matter. Do what you want to do. Be who you want to be. You be you. Have fun. Enjoy life. Do whatever you feel like doing. Be whoever you want to be. It doesn't matter. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Guess where this is coming from? The father of lies who desires to see those children's lives destroyed. He desires for them to fall into these addictions. He desires them to have adulterous relationships. You know, being in the ministry, in a year from May, I'll be in the ministry for 20 years. In that 20 years, you know the thing that I've seen that causes the most harm to the church? Adultery and parents that aren't committed to the Lord and to each other. You know how many kids, I'll never forget the first summer camp I took a group of kids And we would have this time where they would share what God's speaking to them. Do you know every kid in that group said it was an issue they had with their dad? Every single one of them. And I thought, we keep dealing with these these leaves on a tree and we don't go to the base. The heart of the matter is the heart. We have got to reach the hearts of men and women that are married and have children and that impact so much. To recognize, to help them to at least see the danger that they're in. The waters are full of piranhas and alligators and they're coming after you and you need to realize it. 
And the only way I can do that is if I humbly recognize I've made mistakes. I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm no one to speak. I only speak on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only he gives victory. I don't give victory. It's, all of us, are, 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 our greatest deeds are as filthy rags. I'm not righteous. He is righteous. His righteousness lives within me and can live within you. But it's a choice. It's an absolute choice. And here's the choice. I can cheat and be a fool because fools cheat, right? It's that simple. I can be a fool and cheat. Or I can have faithful love because faithful love is the most valuable thing in the universe. Jesus' faithfulness to us is more valuable than all our money. It's more valuable than all our stuff. It's more valuable than anything any of you and I own or can do. The most valuable commodity in the universe is the faithful love of Christ. And you can have that faithful love today. And you can live with him empowering you and leading you with that. How do you apply this to your life? First, I think all of us need to make a decision about adultery. Is it really a big deal? Is it something we should worry about? Is it something we should confront? Is adultery a big enough deal for us to get involved and make sure that people understand it? Is adultery really bad for me? Have I, made a, have I put a stake in the ground and said, this is something I will not allow into my life? You know, so many people, so many teenagers, so many people that you talk to, they don't make a decision on this. They just allow a life stream to lead them. You know where life stream leads you? Into adultery. You've got to make a decision. You've got to commit yourself and say, this is who I am in the Lord. I believe this about adultery. I understand it's evil. I understand the danger of it. I understand when, when God says do not commit it, he has a reason for telling us not to do it. And then secondly, seek victory and forgiveness with God. There's only one place for victory. It's not you making yourself a better person, because I think that's the temptation. I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop. That's not the victory. The victory is when you put up the white flag and you allow God's kingdom to come in and lead. Secondly, Seek and give forgiveness to others. Many of you have been wronged by adultery. You've got to find freedom from that. You can't let that sin bring down your whole life. You've got to live in freedom and victory. And so forgiving and moving on and letting God be the judge. Letting God's justice deal with any of that. And you moving forward. You can't let the sin of somebody be something that enslaves you. You need forgiveness. And then some of us, we need to ask for forgiveness to those people that we've hurt deeply and have caused major problems in their lives. And we just need to be honest and say, you know what? I admit it. And if there's anything I can do, I want to do it to rectify and bring peace here. And then finally, Join our mission of spreading the gospel. Do you know what God's answer to the problem of adultery in the United States is? It's the church. Do you know what God's solution to the problem of adultery 
in this world, he said, is his church. Sharing the gospel, bringing people into communion, bringing people into the body, teaching these truths so that we can live these truths and the Spirit of God can lead us and guide us. That only happens, that only happens if we're born of the Spirit of God, if we're part of his family. Are you twice born today? Have you been born of the Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit of God showing you things, stirring your heart, revealing who he is and what his plan is? Do you feel a passion about these things? Is God stirring you in a way to action? Then you're twice born. It says in Romans 10.9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This leads us to John 3 where Jesus says you must be born again. You must be born of God to be his child. And in being born of him, he gives you victory and freedom from the sins that so easily entangle us. And then finally, what is God saying directly to you? What is he saying to you? We don't, you don't gather here to hear Mike's voice. We don't, I, don't, I wouldn't come here to hear my voice. What is God saying to us, to me personally, through his words? What is he saying? He's stirring something, I know. We need to define it, we need to receive it, and then we need to take action on it. Ephesians 5, 2 says, For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. Proverbs 12, 4 says, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. The beauty of the relationship between two people is the reflection of Christ and his church. That is the great mystery. When we love each other deeply and we forgive each other and we show grace and encouragement and support to each other in a marriage relationship, we demonstrate to the world what Jesus and the church are. A loving relationship of commitment and faithfulness. And that is what he's called us to. That's the challenge. Each one of us has a different area in that. But we're all called together to come together and be obedient. As we pray, whatever the Lord's leading you to, please do that. Have that conversation. Do business with whatever he's telling you. That's the most important thing. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that you are faithful even when we are um, not faithful. And Lord, you love us. You've forgiven us. You've given us victory. You've given us hope. You want us to share this with as many people as possible. You've revealed the danger so that we can confront the danger. You've revealed the answer so we can hand the answer out through words and actions. Lord, help us to be faithful to do that. Help us to live lives that are... That, that reflect you and who you are and what your purposes have been since the beginning. Lord, thank you that you forgive us. But now let us live in a way that is honoring to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. all stand please I surrender all this morning all to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him 
in his deserts daily live I surrender all I surrender all all to thee my blessed Savior I surrender all to Jesus I surrender Make me Savior, holy thine Let me feel thy Holy Spirit Truly know that thou art mine I surrender all I surrender all All to thee, my blessed Savior I surrender all I surrender all all to Jesus I surrender. And so as we leave, let us leave in victory, knowing that everything has been made right in Christ. And if we trust in him with all hearts, souls, minds, and strengths, he will direct our paths in every way. Number 624 says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and is be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And that is my prayer for you this week, that you would walk in the peace of the Lord. God bless. Have a wonderful Sunday.
need to check it because I forgot what day I put that.